Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today, I'm happy to interview Josue Ortega, who, along with his wife, Veronica, lead a church in San Salvador, El Salvador. Josue, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to be with you. Yeah, it's a real honor. Josue, you're you're born in Mexico. You studied law. You planted churches all over Central America. Uh, Just doing a little background research you you planted 26 churches in mexico in a in a six-year period i mean just phenomenal amazing impact in such a short period of time and that was just one segment of your ministry life Uh, i know you became a christian in the late 80s in mexico and now you lead a growing church in el salvador Uh, pretty amazing for a man of your age pretty pretty awesome Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad, as I said, to be with you and to share, I mean, what I have learned in life, yeah, and I can be really, that those things can be really uh, a help thank you. to all the people who are listening to you. Yeah, thank you. El Salvador has been in the news a lot recently. Uh, in particular, you have a, a really young president, a 38-year-old president, and uh, President Bukele, and he uh, has been clamping down on gang crime and the prisoners have been stacked up like cordwood in the prison. Um, how's, how's that going? I, I know that the, the crime rate in El Salvador has, has dropped over the years. How's that going and how's it affecting the church? Well, definitely we are experiencing a change in the political change here in El Salvador. For many years, I mean, uh, this uh, uh, country has been affected by uh, earthquakes, by war, by, uh, I mean, a lot of disasters, okay? And people are suffering a lot here. But fortunately, we are experiencing a a, a change, a a good change, I mean, for the people. Of course, that you know that, I mean, in in these situations, there are some people who really like the changes, some other people who always criticize changes. But anyway, I mean, uh, definitely the the, the crime rate is... uh, has been increasing for the for the last years, okay. But uh, especially this, uh, I could say, like probably since he, the president has been in the, I mean, ruling the the, the country, uh, he just started doing something against the against the crime, which has been really really great. Of course, that he has been taking some uh, decisions that sometimes people don't agree with because of the human rights and everything, okay, especially in prisons, okay, for the for, for the members of the gangs. But definitely has been, uh, it has been, a, 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 we have been experiencing a big difference uh, here in the, in, I mean, with the population. Uh, what has been affected with the disciples, it means that we have probably 30, 40% of the disciples who live in dangerous areas. Uh, when you live here, you uh, need to understand that there are two or three different gangs, okay? And they always are fight to each other. And if you live in a certain place where it belongs, or is, or is controlled, not belong, but it is controlled and ruled by this uh, gang, you cannot move to another place, okay? Or you can, your parents or your, or your relatives or your friends cannot visit you. That's why we cannot visit people. I mean, some of the disciples, we cannot visit them because they are in the, living in dangerous areas. We are experiencing this change, which is really good, okay? But of course, that this is just the beginning, okay? We need to see more. And uh, of course, that uh, my, my prayer is that we can see a free country, uh, free of gangs, okay? Because I think that, that is the most dangerous thing that we have experiencing with. Right. Right. I remember growing up in the 70s and 80s, and El Salvador was in the news constantly about the, um, the Sandinistas. There was all sorts of uh, revolution going on, and it seems like it's calmed down quite a bit since that time. There's a, lot of dis- yes. there's a lot of disciples in the States who are from El Salvador. We have members of our church, a number who are from El Salvador, lots, lots of them. Well, it is very amazing that uh, we have like 7 million people living in the whole country. Uh, we have like two, um, sorry, 5 million people living in the, in the capital city. Okay. And uh, we, I, I think that we have more than 5 million Salvadorians living in Los Angeles. 
So can you imagine the population of Salvadorian living in Los Angeles is the same amount of people who are living now in the capital city, yeah. which is really, really amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. And, and I, I read some statistic that said 20% of the gross national income of El Salvador is, is money that's coming back into the country from outside the country, from the United States, helping to support family members. So a lot, lot going on there. Let's, let's turn our attention toward, towards you and your story. How'd you become a Christian in Mexico? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, my story is very interesting. I mean, I was converted in 1989, but I was, um, I was invited to church in the year 1988, yeah, November, exactly the, the, the day that I still have in my mind, yeah, November the 8th, it was a Monday, Monday, November the 7th, no, the 8th, uh, Monday, the, uh, November the 7th, 1988, yeah, wow. so I just finished law in the university, and I was uh, going, I mean, walking in the street, I mean, trying to go to a, um, a, a searching office, okay? And then someone stopped me and he invited me to church. He was Jess Asper. I mean, he passed away this uh, last year, okay? And he was a missionary uh, in Mexico City. He invited me to go to church and I just went to the Bible talk that day. It was a Monday, as I said, okay? And I was just impressed, I mean, by, uh, by the love of the disciples. I mean, they invested a lot of time with me. And then I became a disciple. I have a Pentecostal background. So it was very hard for me to understand the Holy Spirit and everything, yeah? So it took me more than uh, normal at those times, yeah? You know, that probably people got baptized in one, in one week, in two weeks, three, three weeks. But it took me uh, three months to get baptized so it was uh, very very difficult but I, I had different situations that I had to deal with not only with the religious uh, area but also with my scene with different things in my, in my life yeah but then I was baptized on February the, February the 8th 1989 so I've been a disciple for 31 years yeah it wow. has been amazing that is amazing now you you studied law you got a law degree were you planning on going into politics or what what was your ambition at that time well, I have a lot of dreams in my career. Uh, in, in fact, I became an elementary teacher first, okay? And then after that career, I went to the university again, I mean, to study uh, law. And I had the dream to help people. Yeah, I think that I always had that dream in my heart, okay, to, to, to help people. That's why it is. I, 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 I didn't... I was not really I mean, sure if I wanted to be a, a, a doctor or I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I, I ended with, I mean, with, with the law in, 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 in the school of law in Mexico. But I had a lot of dreams. Yeah, I became a lawyer. I, I was working as a lawyer when I was also a young Christian. Yeah, and my dreams was, uh, to, one of my dreams was to work in the, in, in the international, um, I mean, uh, area. Okay, so I really wanted to be an ambassador okay in uh, in another country in i mean Salvador, mexico but those were my dreams i had really had big dreams i mean in my career i really love to be a lawyer i sometimes miss i mean the time when i was working as a lawyer sometimes i miss the time when i was a a teacher elementary teacher okay so you did practice law a little bit before you went yes into the i ministry. practiced law for eight years oh for, for eight, years, eight because years i started i started practicing law when i was in the school Wow. For the three, in the last three years, I became, uh, uh, I was practicing I mean, with one of my friends, okay, who was a lawyer at that time. And then uh, when I just finished uh, the, the university, I was still working, okay, until I became an intern, okay, and as they asked me to, to be an intern in the church. Wow, that's amazing. May I ask how old you are? Uh, 54. That's exactly how old I am. That's a, that's oh, a yeah, good year. So the same year, 65. 65. <laughs> a great year. That's, great that, year, that's encouraging. That's great. So what, what was your dream before becoming a Christian? Before you became a Christian, what was like, I know that you're a dreamer, you've got big ambitions. What was your dream? Well, before I was a Christian, I really wanted to have a lot of money. Yeah, I grew up in a um, in a family with uh, with a lot of needs. Okay, and then I really wanted to do something in life. Yeah, I didn't want to be one of of uh, mo one of a non known 
uh, lawyers. Okay? I really wanted to do something great. Yeah? I remember that every time that I went to the university, uh, every single day when I went back to my house, I mean, I was sleeping. And before I went to sleep, I was having a lot of dreams in my mind. I said, well, I, I think that I was, I, I, I was born to do something great in my life. Right. Yeah, but of course, at those times, I just wanted to make money. Yeah, right. uh, The more money that I had, I thought that I was... Uh, I, I I was about to be more ha- I mean happier okay right. but th- that was my dream especially I mean the material 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 dreams right you you planted churches all over Central America can you tell me a little bit about that I mean there's so there's so many countries in that in that area you've got Honduras and Belize and in in Guatemala and all these Panama how like can you Tell me a little bit about that time period, and that it just sounds amazing that you were involved in all of that. Well, I became a Christian in 1989, as I said, and then in 1994, I was married, okay, in Mexico City. Then six months later, I mean, I was asked to, to move to uh, Santiago de Chile uh, to lead the church. It was my first experience, okay, and then I lived in Santiago de Chile. We lived in Santiago de Chile for one year, and then they asked me to move to Guatemala. Okay, in uh, December uh, 1995, yeah, I, we, we just moved from Chile to Guatemala. And at that time, there were only two churches, okay, Guatemala, uh, who was planted, that was planted in 1994, and San Pedro Sula, Honduras, who, uh, that was planted in the year 1995 in November. So when, when I arrived there, I had a lot of dreams. I decided to be to, to make a big difference in the in, in the region. Yeah, so we didn't have any other churches. We had seven countries in in um, in, in Central America, and we uh, just uh, plan, I mean, imagine that we one day we would have uh, churches in all the in all the countries. So I remember in 1996 we organized the first Central American conference. It was like a, I mean, really, uh, I mean, something really weird, okay? Because uh, we had this um, flags parade, okay, and uh, I mean, a lot of uh, I mean, uh, we brought uh, all the people from Cent- from San Pedro Sula. Uh, there were only 20 disciples, okay? They went, they came to Guatemala, and we had like a big big conference, I mean, and we were only 100 people, yeah, but we had a dream, okay, one day we will have a church in every single country in Central America. So I think that in that year, I mean, just, I mean, uh, grew the the seed, the seed was planted of dreams, okay, and and then I said, well, we, we were dreaming of having those churches, and then in the following years, we were, we, we had a plan to plant the churches in 1996 we planted the churches in Costa Rica in 97 we planted two churches uh, the church in San Salvador and the church in Nicaragua at the same time 98 we planted the church in Panama that was the year when we just moved from uh, Central America from Guatemala to Mexico to help the leadership in Mexico and we we brought all the missionaries with us I mean because that year was the year for Panama and we were about to send the missionaries and we were asked to move to Mexico, so we brought the eight disciples who were about who were going to to Panama with us to Mexico, and they they finished their training in Mexico. We sent them out from Mexico, okay, to plant the church in in Panama. Then in 1999, we planted the first uh, second uh, church in in one country in Guatemala, in Shela, Guatemala. Uh, in the year 2000, we just finished without a plan of six years, okay, to plant churches in every city that was at least 100,000 disciples, okay, and a, 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 a population, okay, and then uh, we planted the church in Belize in the year 2000, Tegucigalpa in the year 2000, and then little by little the following years, the second cities uh, and the third cities, major cities, okay, in each country were, uh, I mean, or they had a church, but those uh, plantings were just locally. Wow. Now, did your wife ever see you during this time or were you completely, you must have been so tired from doing all that work. That sounds like so much. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm so glad that I married Veronica. Veronica is a great dreamer. I mean, she has the same dreams like me and it was really awesome to see that God is um, 
I mean, just um, uh, put us together, okay? And he had a plan, and in his plan was that I had Veronica with me because I think that if I had married someone else, I don't know what would have happened. So God has his plans, and it was great. So she shares your ambition. She's also yes. loves the ministry and loves missionary work also. Definitely, definitely. I'm impressed by her love of God. I mean, for God, I mean, she, I'm, since the first time that I met her, okay, up to now, okay, I remember her all the time. I mean, waking up, okay, at 5 a.m. in the morning and getting on her knees, I mean, praying. I mean, she challenged me, okay, all the time because, I mean, she's a very morning person, okay, uh, and definitely, I mean, she gets up very early and she goes to God. To God, I mean, really, I mean, every single day, I mean, and she shares the same dreams with me, which is, which has been really, I mean, interesting and a, like a great blessing, of course, for us. That's great. That's fantastic. Now, after that period of time, when about a five-year period, when you planted churches in the seven countries of Central America, then you went to Mexico City and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you planted 26 churches in Mexico which is your home country, in six years. Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Oh my, tell, how? How did that happen? That is just unbelievable. I've never heard anything quite like that before. Well, one of the things that, that, that uh, happened is that uh, we had a group of people, group of dreamers. Yeah, I can say that all the people at that time I mean, they were in our age, more or less, okay? And, and, and I, I, I think that I just wanted to share what God had done in Central America, and we just wanted to imitate the same model, okay? So in the year 2000, from the year 2000, because we moved from Central America to Mexico in the year 19, uh, 1998, okay? And then in the year 2000, Pedro Garcia, who was leading the church at that time in Mexico City, he moved to Los Angeles to continue helping the church in Los Angeles, and he was uh, worse sector leader. So he, uh, he left uh, Veronica and me to lead the church in Mexico. So we started leading the church in Mexico. Uh, the church had about uh, 3,000 disciples at that time. Okay. And then uh, we just had only four uh, churches in, in, in Mexico. So we said, well, we said, we have a lot of disciples here in um, in, in, in Mexico City, but we don't have disciples in many other cities. I mean, Mexico has more than 100, um, uh, one, 100 uh, million people, uh, yeah, 100 million people living in Mexico, in Mexico, uh, in the whole Repo Mexican Republic. So we said, okay, we have 32 states, okay, and they don't, most of them don't have uh, a, a, true, a true church. So we decided to have the same plan. The same plan that the, the worldwide we had, okay, that from the year 1994 to the year uh, 2000, we were going to plant churches around the world. Now we have another plan. From the year 2000 to the year 2006, we were going to plant uh, churches in every single state. Then, you know that all the things that happened in 2003 with the Henry Chris letter, okay, everything was like a, 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 a devastating and it was really hard, but nothing happened in Mexico City, which, which was really awesome because during the year 2003 to the year 2006, we planted most of, the, of those 26 churches. So we were baptizing people, we were planting people, we didn't lose um, uh, people, members, okay, of the church during the, the, the difficult times that all the churches around the world had. Wow, that's that's really unique. And how do you explain that? I know that there was a, you know, a difficult time throughout throughout our family of churches during that time, a, a, a breakdown in the structure during that time. What what was different about what was going on in Mexico? How did you avoid that that time? I think that we had a dream, and I think that we were working really hard in our relationships. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it was something like well, like a mix of uh, having people focus on something very important, which was a mission, and also uh, people who were very close to each other. Okay, and they shared the dream. So when all of the when when the letter came up, okay, and uh, we found about the letter, okay, we decided to go to every single church that we had at that time, the Central America, because we were living at that time Mexico and Central America. So we went to all the churches around and we apologized in front of everyone. We say, okay, we just made mistakes. Okay, please um, uh, forgive us. But before the year two thousand and three, 
in the year when we arrived in Mexico in, the, in, the, in 1998, we decided to change many things, okay? The way that we were doing church, because I felt when I, I, I was living in the, in the mission field for four years probably in Chile and in Guatemala. When I came back to Mexico City, I felt something different, okay? Because now I was working also uh, by, 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 side by side with Peter Garcia. But then I felt different because I said, well, I think that we are under pressure all the time. I mean, because of numbers, we, we really want to give numbers, 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 numbers. So I talked to Peter, okay, and we decided to make some changes, okay, which was really great, okay. So we made some changes. We just focused more on the grace, okay. We thought more about grace. We thought about more friendship. We thought about, uh, more about, uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, sharing our faith without feeling the pressure, okay, or without feeling like uh, this is like a burden, okay, that we need to to do okay and it was just i mean enjoying our lives okay so when the letter came okay in 2003 i think that many people didn't feel related to those things I because see. they said okay those things are not happening here yeah even though we went to all the churches around and we apologize but they say i mean those things are not happening here okay That's and great. i think that that was the the, the 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 things that happened at that time so really you anticipated some of the changes that needed to be made and you did it in advance so that the, there wasn't the kind of impact that um, that letter that was critical of the churches had. So that's fantastic. That shows a lot of uh, forethought. Now, I think that God protected the church in Mexico City because it was one of the biggest churches. Right. Yeah. So God had a plan and still has a plan for the church. That's okay. Great. And I think that we were only instruments. Okay. Right. We were only tools. Okay. Mm -hmm. Used by God. Okay. But I think that he had a dream for Mexico and he still has the dream for Mexico and Central America. Amen. Well, how did it feel? It must've been just amazing to get a church in every state in, in the country of Mexico. What, what did it feel like when you got that job done in 2006? When, well, in fact, we don't, we still have, um, we, we still need like three or four more countries to be evangelized because we finished the, I mean, sending out the, um, the, 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 the churches in 2006, but we still have uh, some three or four, uh, no, I think that right now three, three more states to be evangelized. Okay. But how I felt when I, when the year 2006, uh, arrived and finished. I, can, I think that um, I felt happy, but I felt like blessed and I felt like, of course, that we were starting dealing with some other things, okay? So in 2006, we had a lot of churches, we had a lot of leaders, we were investing a lot of time in training people. We brought people from Central America to, I mean, for further training, and we sent them out to lead the church in Central America. So Mexico City was a, a training center. Yeah, and I was feeling great because of those uh, churches, but I also felt like I, had a, like I had a lot of things to do. I mean, uh, not only feeling like we have a planting in, in, in many states, but also I felt the responsibility to, to continue training right. the people. Yeah, right. so it was like a mix, okay, happiness, and of course, like uh, the responsibility that I, that right. I felt. It's like you, you've had all these babies, but now you got to take care of them, and it's a lot of, a lot of work. So yeah. mo most people uh, could only dream of that kind of impact. That's really, really impressive. Now, can you tell me, you were leading a church of 3,000 in Mexico City. You moved to a church of, what, 175 disciples in, in El Salvador. Um, and I know that they're growing. Can you tell me a little bit about the church and the churches in El Salvador? How are they growing? What are the strengths and weaknesses of the churches there? Well, if I can tell you a little bit before, the, before moving to El Salvador, the transition that we have, Okay, I maybe I'm anticipating to that question. I no, don't know. no, it's okay. But Go ahead. Anyway, I mean, the transition is very important for me because I think that I became a different person when I arrived in San Salvador. From the year 2006 to the, the year 2008, many things happened. We were happy about the, the, the plantings and we we're happy about different uh, victories that God has, I mean, have given us, I mean, at that time. But also we experienced um, erosion of our relationships, okay? 
for many years we were investing in many things, but also I felt that something was uh, was broken. I mean, little by little, okay, in our relationship. So I mean, to tell you the big story in a very, I mean, I mean, in some words, I mean, we had a lot of problems in Mexico City in our relationships from the year two thousand and seven to the year two thousand and eight. That was the year when I just uh, left Mexico City and I took uh, like a sabbatical year in, in, in Los Angeles. It was not like the sabbatical year. I mean, for me, it was like, uh, it was very, very hard. I mean, to explain everything that happened in Los Angeles sure. at that time, okay? But it was hard for me because many thoughts came up to my mind, okay? The thoughts like I invested all my, uh, my, 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 my best years in Mexico. In, in Mexico, I did my best for Mexico. I did my best for the ministry. So what's what's wrong? I mean, what happened with all of these things? Okay, so many thoughts came up to my mind. Okay, uh, evil um, thoughts, uh, negative thoughts. Okay, and I was just dealing with my mind. I mean, trying to to, to survive in a in, in, in a place when I felt like I had a lot of friends, and then when you you, you just you are not leading, then you realize that you are not. Um, your friends are not there, okay, for you. And yeah. then you realize that they, and they were not your friends. Yeah, they were right. just your, your, your co-workers. Right. And that is very important because when I, before I moved to El Salvador, uh, we spent one year in, 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 uh, in Los Angeles. And I think that that year was very important for me because I, I think that God purified my, 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 my motives. God purified my, my motivation in my heart, okay? Because I was... Uh, having a lot of things in my in, in my mind, a lot of hats. I mean, I was wearing a lot of hats, but at the same time, I, I just wanted to experience the mission. Yeah, but I was dealing with a lot of administrative things. Okay, right. so there's certain time when you are leading many things that you need to delegate. Okay, and then you need to understand that you cannot do all the things at the same time. Okay, so that year, I mean, God exposed my heart, exposed my pride expose my uh, my bad motivations okay and then i had to go on my knees most of the time when i was in mexico i mean in los angeles and and, and i had to deal with uh resentment uh with a bitterness okay and then i i i realized that my biggest enemies were not people because at that time i thought the people in mexico are my enemies no 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 no, no. the biggest enemies that i had at that time were the bitterness, the resentment, the pride, okay, that I was dealing at that time, and it was very, very hard. Then, uh, uh, one year, I spent one year in, 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 in Los Angeles, we led the, the Latino ministry, the single Latino, Latinos in in, a, in, um, in Lighthouse Church, okay, uh, in, in with, with Peter Garcia, because I, I'm so glad with Peter Garcia, I'm so uh, happy by having him in my life. Well, in fact, let me tell you this. We have been in the discipleship relationship for more than 26 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, was, <laughs> same same person, 26 years. We celebrate our, 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 our silver wedding. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time to have a mentoring relationship. A long time. So we know each other really well. I know his things. He, know my, he knows my things. I mean, I, we, we know each other really well. So, I mean, every time that when I see him or he sees me, I mean, we we immediately understand the way that we are feeling. So at that time, he he helped me a lot. He he was very patient with me. He because I was angry most of the time. I was dealing with a lot of demons, okay, in my mind and in my heart. But he was very patient and he taught me many things. And then uh, there was a time uh, when we were asked to go back to the ministry. I mean, to the mission field again. We wanted to go to Panama. And then, in fact, I went to Panama in the year 2009. I was living in Los Angeles. We went to Panama to find school for the kids, to find a, a place where I meant to live. And we had a good talk with the leaders in, in Panama. And they said, oh, man, we really want you to come here. Okay. But then uh, Peter talked to me and he said, well, there's another option. The option is in San Salvador. Salvador is not doing well. The people have lost faith. The people are not trusting the, 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 the leaders. And uh, they are having a lot of time. So, and of course, El Salvador is very, very dangerous. Okay. So you need to pray and decide where, where you want to go. And then, of course, my mind said, okay, let's go to Panama. Okay. Because I really want to go there. Yeah. The beautiful city. I mean, you were there. And it means it is amazing. And very cosmopolitan everything but then Vero, i mean my wife told talked to me and she said okay well Josue, what do you want to do you want to go to a, a very comfortable place or 
do you really want to experience faith? Because if we really want to go to the mission field, we need to go where our faith is going to be proved, okay? Tested. So let's go to San Salvador. So we wow. prayed and we decided to go to San Salvador and that's the way that we landed in San Salvador. Oh my god! We had 70 disciples at that time, okay? And people were not doing really well. They didn't trust the leadership. I mean, uh, it was very hard for them. I mean, many, many people have fallen away. Okay. And then they, um, it was very sad. I mean, just to go into the, get, get uh, walked into the, into the church and feeling an atmosphere that you feel like, oh my God, I mean, this is not the <laughs> International Church of Christ. It's not the Christ where I was born. Okay. This is something different. But that has made a lot of uh, changes and it has been really, really great right now we are 180 disciples i mean wow. we have grown for more than 100 disciples and at the same time we are just uh at that time we, we were just leading the church in san salvador when i said that time it, it mean i mean the year 2009 but then little by little all the church leaders in central america asked us to help them so it was more organic yeah the relationship that i have with them was more organic because I didn't impose myself or nobody, nobody imposed me, I mean, to lead those churches because we were just leading San Salvador. And then the other disciples, the other leaders who were our friends, okay, and I mean, I, I, I baptized more, more of the, more, most of them and then I, I raised them up, okay, but um, they organically came up to us and they asked for help which has been really awesome. And one of the strengths that I think that we have in Central America. That's great. So over time, they, they look to you and just ask for help. And so it wasn't from the top down saying, hey, you're gonna be in charge of everybody. Instead, people came up to you individually and say, hey, we like, we like what you're doing in, in El Salvador. Would you mind helping us in uh, Guatemala or else in Honduras or the neighboring countries? And so, yes, so now there's a, have... there's a real unity there among the leaders in the churches. Yes, definitely. That is uh, that has been a great difference in our in our group of churches. Okay, because we the biggest church the biggest church that we have in Central America is Guatemala, with almost with more than seven hundred disciples, and San Pedro Sula with almost five hundred disciples. So those are the churches, the big churches. Um, they also came up to us and said, "Okay, please disciple disciple me. We really want to learn from you. We really want to do something different." And little by little, the El Salvador San Salvador became the training center for many people. Right now, we have a lot of young people coming to El Salvador. Uh, see some leaders also coming to El Salvador for further training. And San Salvador has been uh, or has be be become uh, the the training center for Central America. Wow, that's so interesting. You know, I don't know how many wives would tell their husband that you need to go to a more dangerous and challenging <laughs> mission field. Your, your wife, Veronica, must be a very special person that she said, you know, to call you higher and say, you can't go for comfort. You've got to go for challenge. Yes, definitely. As I said before, I mean, uh, I, I'm glad that I married Veronica because I think that she has helped me many, many times in my life and yeah, spiritual life. And this journey that we have been taking together for more than 25 years, okay, of marriage, uh, I think that God has used her many times to save me, to save me from uh, from darkness, from, um, to save me from uh, very uh, bad places. Okay, so God has, I mean, God put in her heart the dream that we had when we met each other in the early 90s. Yeah, so I think that it was something that she had in her life and she wanted to share and she encouraged me to do that. That's really powerful. Now, Let's let's back it up a little bit. Go back to Los Angeles. You were there for a year. Um, you know, just doing some some background study on your life. At that point, at one point, you you went out for a prayer walk and you were contemplating, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk away from God. I'm gonna leave the church." You got a call from a friend saying, "Hey, you know, you need to hang on. You told us to persevere. You need to persevere." Can you talk a little bit about that time? Well, I think that, that was like a big difference between who I was and who I am now. Yeah, because uh, as I said, the year in, in Los Angeles was very challenging for me. Uh, I there, there was a certain time when uh, in, in 
in the year 2008 and 2009. I believe that it was probably October, November. I don't remember exactly what uh, the, the, the exact month. But I was feeling really bad, really, really bad. I, I told him, you know, I mean, dealing with bitterness, dealing with resentment, dealing with, with, with many thoughts. Sometimes I thought, I think that the biggest mistake that I have, uh, the biggest mistake that I that that, that 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 I made in my life was to become a disciple. Mm-hmm. I think that that was the the worst terrible thing that I had ever experienced, because I I wasted my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasted my my dreams. Okay, I lost my dreams, and then I thought, God, I I don't really want to be in this church. Okay, mm-hmm. I still love God. But I think that I didn't want to be part of the church who at that time I felt that they were hurting me, that they were my enemies. Okay, so um, uh, I remember one night and it was feeling really bad. And I talked to Veronica and said, Vero, we are going back to Mexico City. We are not going to tell anyone. Okay, tomorrow we are taking a plane. Okay, and we are moving back to Mexico City. I don't want to be part of this um, uh church i don't want to be part of this leadership i don't want to be part of anything okay i just want to go back to my country where my family lives where your family lives okay and we are going to start looking for a job okay i don't really want to be a christian at that time okay so but i was feeling something in my heart i was feeling really sad so i decided to walk okay it was very late at night and probably 11 p.m nobody walks at night in la or in the united states especially at night yeah so i don't know what people who were in their in their cars thinking about me i mean but i was just I mean, crying, and I was uh, praying and saying, God, you know that I love you, but I don't want to feel like this. I mean, I don't really want to continue in this church. I don't really want to continue. With, I mean, I mean, dealing with these uh, feelings that are are killing me. Uh, and then I was feeling so bad that I called one of my friends and I said, Well, you know something? I'm going to do this. Okay, this is something that really probably. People will think that it will be terrible, but for me, it will be like something that will save my my, my my life and will save my family. And he talked to me and he said, Josue, I remember that you taught me many times about, I mean, being uh, strong when things uh, were not doing well. I think that many times you taught me about um, being a person who can who who can be used by God, I do remember that. And he started telling me many things that I remember that I had tell I had talked to, to him. I mean, many years before. Okay, and then I said, I mean, my God, I don't know why I I talked to this guy those things many <laughs> years ago. Okay, but God was working. Definitely, God was working because God used this guy. Okay, to uh, encourage me, and he said, I'm not going to accept that you will go back to Mexico. You need to deal with your enemies right now. And your enemies are not people. Your enemies are your thoughts. Your enemies are your, are your things. So you need to go back and, and, and change. And I, and I was not really hearing that during the call. I mean, he was telling me the right things, but I was not, uh, uh, I mean, uh, really paying attention to all the all the details then i uh hung up okay and then i was walking and there was when i hung up i i just cried and i said god you know that i really want to do something with my life i don't really want to be in this situation and then i started crying and shouting and and and, and, and saying god please i mean do something with my life you know that i have this dream but i don't know i'm dealing with these demons that i mean they are they they are not allowing me to move forward okay right, right. and then something happened in my heart i finished i mean uh, praying and then i went back and said no i'm not going to be a coward i decided to be a person who who, who is a hero for god right. i'm going to uh, face and overcome all the obstacles again. Okay? I went back. Vero was packing that night. She was packing, and then I told her, "Okay, Vero, you know something? We are not going to uh, to to move to Mexico." And she said, "What? <laughs> yes, we are not going to move. We're not going to go back to Mexico. We're going to stay here, and we're going to face everything. If we are going to apologize, we're going to apologize. Whatever we need to do, we're going to do." Okay, because we are not going to be cowards. That's and amazing. God made a big change in my heart. Wow. Definitely, it was a big change. Well, it's, it's interesting that you share that because I think there are a lot of people that became Christians in the 80s and 90s, and they are fired up. They're converted on campus or in their jobs. 
and then they they devoted you know 10 or 15 years to god and really gave their best and sacrifice i mean i knew people that sold their homes and they gave so much money and then they got into middle aged middle age and you know something stuff happens you know it's money money becomes an issue a larger issue you've got kids you've got pressure with family some relationships go bad and what advice would you give them because i think you're not the only one that feels that way you know, when you kind of enter into middle age and you've made major sacrifices, you've certainly done a lot for God. But at the same time, you look at your life and you go, hey, you you could be a, a major lawyer. You could be making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but here you are, you know, you're you're traveling around. You're not not where you could be um, had you stayed in your in your law practice. What advice would you give people who are wrestling with failure or or disagreements with other people, or resentment, things like that? I always share my story, not only with people uh, at my age, but also with the young people. Because I think that is something that sooner or later you are going to deal with, okay? Because when we think that uh, being in the ministry or being in the leadership is like a piece of candy, that is not. <laughs> that is not a real thing, of course not, okay? And I, and I also share my story with the young people because they need to learn from my mistakes. They need to learn from uh, the way that I did some things, uh, certain things, and it was not good, okay? And they also need to learn from the things that I did good, yeah? But for the people on my age, okay, I always share about this. Uh, if you really have a transforming relationship with God, okay? That relationship with God will keep you safe mm. during the bad times, wow. okay? If you have put your hope in the material things, then one day you will lose everything and then you will feel with, you, you will see your heart with a lot of resentment. Mm. Nobody, nobody told me when I became an inter or a leader that I was that I was going to be protected all the time by men. But what I understood is that I was going to be protected all the time by God. Yeah, so my relationship with God makes a big difference. Yeah, if we just invest time in a real relationship with God, a relationship that transforms your heart, that transforms your life, that, 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 can, uh, that, that you can be an example for everyone, then you are growing and building in the right way right that's powerful if not you will see a lot of demons fighting against you but you decided that those demons were going to live with you mm. because you allowed them to live with you because you were here only for money for a position and not for the real purpose right yeah. i think that i mean it is sad what happened and I, and I try to understand people. Every person is different. I try to understand the, 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 the transition that they are having, the situation that they experience, okay? Uh, and, and I try to help all the time. I don't criticize. I don't judge anyone. I just try to be a supportive person, a person who can help, by, I mean, by telling the story that could have been the same story like them, but decided to be different, not because I am different, because God is power, yeah. powerful. And because God is powerful, I can be different. Right. That is a big, I mean, situation. I mean, that takes you to one side or to the other side. Right, right. Very powerful story. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably uh, with me, because I think a, a lot of people, if not everybody, goes through some type of a major crisis, especially towards middle life, when they realize okay, this is where my life is, this is where it could have been, and or maybe this is not the life that I anticipated at this point in life. And so it's very, very um, instructive and helpful. Thank you. Um, what, what advice, if, if you could just go back in time, let's just say you could go back 20 years, and you just have, have like a time machine, you know, and you could go back in time and talk to your younger self. You could talk to your your person at 24 or 34, what would you tell your younger self? Um, I have thought many times about that question, yeah. 
and I have landed with the same thing. I should have um, invested more time, I mean, building better relationships. I should have um, invested my life, okay, not in the administration uh, side, but on the, uh, I mean, on, on, on building a good relationship with God. I think that uh, that was something that I should have done, okay, better, yeah, uh, because I think that uh, the, the problems that we had in Mexico, most of them were because of my pride. In the beginning, I blamed people. In the beginning, I blamed all of them. And it's easy to blame people. It's easy to blame others when you are hurt, okay? But then I just landed with the, with, with the idea of, no, the problem was not them. The problem was me because I didn't invest time to build a strong relationship with God that could have been a great root, mm. I mean, to uh, uh, support to uh, the, the 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 whole construction, wow. yeah. So I, I, I th th those are the things. Okay, That's I powerful. should have been better with God and better with relationships. Right, but at the time you were so busy building and building churches that I'm sure it was tempting to, you know, you just didn't didn't feel like you had the time to do that, and and yet it's it is so important to do that. Thank you for sharing that. Now. What, what would you, you know, turning and telling, let's say you're talking to a 25-year-old man or 25-year-old woman, and they're like, wow, you know, I want to make a difference. I want to reach out to, you know, I want to plant a church in my hometown, or I want to go back to my home country. I want to make a difference, or I want to serve God doing this or that. What, what would you tell them? What advice would you give them? When they wanted to go to back, uh, back to, I mean, I, I really want to understand the, the question. Sorry. Well, what, just what would you tell a young, ambitious, ambitious oh. person like yourself who wants to make a difference for God? Okay. Yeah. So I have been involved with so many young people who really have a lot of ambitions for God. Okay. And one of the first things that I tell them, because as I said, I mean, San Salvador has been, has become a, a training center. So I bring people from different countries to train them. Okay. And then send them out to different uh, places. Not only Central America, we recently sent out a couple uh, who came from Mexico, from Mexico, one of the churches, small churches in Mexico, and they were trained for four years in San Salvador, and now they are back in Mexico leading the campus ministry in Puebla, okay? But I always, always tell these things. I always tell them that if you want to go back, you have dreams, but you need to start following Jesus' example. You need to serve, you need to learn, you need to have a heart like a sponge, okay, that you are, I mean, getting water, getting advice, learning, 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 okay, and at the same time, and, and at the same time being an example, like Paul taught Timothy, okay, being, be an example all the time, okay, in a, in, in a, in, in a church, okay, where uh, we normally have, I mean, a lot of mature disciples, you need to learn, you need to learn how to be a good servant. So I always tell them, okay, go back, okay, have a lot of ambitions, but serve. The example will give you to the place where you really want to be. Mm, the great. example. So people will look at you mm -hmm. and they will say, okay, let's put this guy in the leadership wow. instead of trying to be a leader. Right. Yeah. Because people, you know, that we have read this sentence all the time, okay, that people who feel like they are leaders, Definitely, they are not leaders. Okay? Right, right. So instead of trying to chase a position or a title, just try to be like Jesus. Try to serve. Try to be an example. Try to have that kind of character. That's that's great advice. Yeah. Be proactive, okay, mm -hmm. all the time. Don't don't stay. I mean, waiting uh, uh, just for a position. I mean, be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. It is very important. That's the way that we train people. I train people personally. We have a school of missions here, mm -hmm. but it's not like, I mean, only the Bible study and everything, okay? But we really want to focus on character. Right. And we disciple one by one. That's great. I love to hear that. That's powerful. Okay, well, that leads me um, 
to, to the next question. Um, what are your plans for the next 10 years? What, what do you plan on doing until you say turn 65? Well, I see myself not leading the church or not leading a church. I see myself training people. I think that right now we need to believe more in the young people. I need that right now we need to train more people to have the position of being the leaders, the church leaders. But I see myself, I mean, having a lot of young people get involved in the leadership, okay? And then I will become like, a, probably like an elder, like a shepherd, okay? That a missionary that I can go to any other church, okay? And try to strengthen strength that, that church. I see myself like that, okay? But that's why I'm dedicating a lot of time right now to train the young people. Mm-hmm. And or not only training, but you need to empower those people because sometimes you train these people, but you don't empower them. Right. And it means it's nonsense, okay? You just give them the tools, but you don't allow them to lead, okay? Because you feel, okay, I am the leader here. No, I don't see myself like a leader. The leader is in Salvador in 10 years. I see myself helping the church in El Salvador, okay? But having young people getting involved in the leadership, right. yeah? So... That is the way that I see myself. That's great. So really training, continuing on with your missionary training school and developing younger leader. That, that's great. Now that leads to this question. Let's say someone's listening and they're like, wow, I'd like to get that kind of training. I'd like to be a part of that. Where can I sign up? Um, wh- how could they find you? Like what do you, do you take missionaries from other countries? Let's say there's someone in the States or in Canada or another country and they're like, wow, I'd like to go there and train for three months. What, what, what would you tell them? Most of the people that, I mean, who have come to San Salvador, they have come here for a year or for two years. Yeah. The people make fun of me and they say, okay, when you say one year, it means two years. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> what I do is that I visit different churches. Okay. And I have right now, I coordinate the, um, the campus ministry work in Central America. Okay, so I'm in contact with all the young people, okay, and I have my my group of young leaders, okay, from all the countries in Central America, including Dominican Republic and Ecuador, because the church in Dominican Republic asked us to help them, okay, with the uh, campus ministry, and it was great. I mean, two years ago, we went to the Dominican Republic. They have eight disciples in the campus ministry, and right now, they have almost 50 disciples in the campus ministry. Wow. And also... Uh, like that, that was a revival. And also the Ecuador, the, 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 the church in Quito was dealing with a lot of situations with the rest of the churches in Central America, and especially with the region family, okay? And then they didn't want to be part of that family. So they asked us to help them, okay? So right now we're discipling the church in Quito. We are trying to restore the relationship between them and the rest of the churches in, uh, in, in, in South America. And uh, what I do is that I visit different churches. I bring people, okay, normally for one year, okay, and the time when they are here, okay, I train them in different areas. But the most important uh, uh, part or area where I train is the character. Because I think that if we just train in character, okay, they will be willing to do many other things, okay? Of course, and during the time, I train them in, in how to speak, how to uh, become a good preacher, how to use the Bible better, how to be, uh, help uh, young people to become disciples, how to counsel and advise people, okay? So we read books. We, I have my group of Timothys, okay, which is very different. I have my missionaries, okay? I mean, uh, training my missionaries from different countries, and I also have my Timothy group, okay, which is young people in San Salvador, okay? Mm. I have four guys, okay? And they are in their 18, from 18 to, to, to 19 years old, okay? And I, I, I help them, I empower them, I teach them how to lead the, how to lead the church. They have, they, they are big dreamers, okay? And, but I do it personally. If someone wants to come here, okay, it, it is very easy. Just contact me by phone, okay? And then I will be in touch, okay? And then if it is possible, I mean, they can come and they can be, uh, they can be trained here for a couple of months that probably will become four months. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, now, Danny, per, uh, sorry, this is very important also. I mean, we don't have a lot of financial resources, mm-hmm. but what has been really important is that little by little people from outside has been very, very interested in this um, project that they have invested money. Okay. Uh, this is the first year that the, that the missionary uh, group, our uh, Mexico and Central American Missions Society uh, gave money 
to this uh, project, which was not maybe a lot of money. They donated $10,000 for us for a year, okay? But that money allowed me to train two people, okay, two guys, okay, in the mission field. My, my, my project is that with this amount of money, they can work part-time, okay, or probably they can work full-time because here with $600 a month, you can hire a person, okay? Um, and it will be very in interesting to help people. If we have more money, of course, that we can train more people, okay? But most of them, they, when they come here, they become interns because it will be easier for me just to uh, give them a hand. Okay. What if a, a foreigner wanted to come and visit you and do like a, something like a one-year challenge? Let's say an American wanted to come down there and, and, and just train. Maybe they provided some of their own support. Would, would that be a possibility? Are there any spots there in, in El Salvador or in other places in, in Central America? Yeah. Yes, of course. I mean, they can come. Definitely, we had we, we were spot. I mean, for one year challenge many years ago. But I think that uh, people, <laughs> you know, that when they hear San Salvador, they hear, oh my God, I mean the gangs and everything. Okay, and uh, but uh, it is a very interesting place. I mean, this is an amazing place. Right. If uh, this year I'm in the process of becoming a, a Salvadorian citizen, yeah, and it has been you, really great. You are becoming a citizen. Yes, and a uh, Salvadorian citizen. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, because I love this place, I yeah. love the country, right. I love the people here, I love everything. Yeah. So that's great. I I don't really want to go back to Mexico, and I don't really want to go to any other country right now. I mean, I am happy here, and I say that when people come, okay, uh, and they can ex spend one year here, okay, we try we will try to find resources because it's very important. If they come, some of them can be self supported. But if they are not self-supported, we need to find the resources for them because it's not easy. But if a person says, okay, I will move to San Salvador and then I will find a job, I mean, that will be very, very difficult, okay? So definitely we'll need to find the resources for that person. Probably that he can be self, that person can be self-supported or we can find the resources I for see. that person. Okay, well, that's, that's great. I think it, it's a great opportunity. For someone that really wants to grow, it's a great opportunity and great opportunity for them and, and also for the, the future churches that you're going to be planting. Now, how many churches are there in, in El Salvador now? Do you have one in San Miguel and in, in some of the other smaller cities? No, we just have one church in San Salvador. We are okay. planning to plant a church in Santa Ana this year. I don't know if it's going to happen because of the COVID situations. You know that many things have, uh, have changed. Okay, but definitely, if it's not possible to plant the church this year, in the beginning of the next year, we will plant the church. We do have disciples in Santa Ana, which is the uh, east part, okay, of the of the country, and also we need to plant a church in the west area, okay, of the country, which is uh, San Miguel. I see. Okay, terrific. So. Um, is there anything else that you would like to to share with anybody, or anything on your heart that you would like, um, you know, to communicate to disciples around the world? Anything that you would like to share before we finish today? Okay, let me tell you something very important. Two scriptures that I, I mean, are very very important for me. Okay. The first one is Ephesians three twenty that says that God has the power to use us. Okay, God can do even greater things that we can imagine or that we can even thought, okay? So that is the thing that I would like to share with all of the guys who can hear this or who, who, who can see the video. I don't know if it's going to be a, be a video or it's going to be an, 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 an audio, audio, but let me tell you this again. God has the power to use you wherever you're going to live, wherever you live, whatever you're going to do, I mean, whatever you want to do, God is going to use you. And you need to understand this. You need to understand that God has a power. Mm -hmm. But it's, the Bible says that he's going to use you. I mean, he's going to, he has power, but he's going to use you to show his power. Mm -hmm. So he, God uses people. God wow. uses you. And we need the young people. We need dreamers. We need people who really want to do and make, and make a big difference in this uh, in this life, okay, we were not born to be one more uh, a person in billions and billions of people in the world. We were born to do something great, okay, and we need to understand this. When you believe this, then you can be used powerfully by God. And the second scripture is Joshua uh, 1 verse 9, which is 
one of my favorites, okay? And it says that God always tells, okay, I will be with you. Don't be, okay, be, uh, uh, don't be afraid because right. I be with you. Right. Don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. And it means that we are going to feel uh, fear. We are going to deal with fear, with uncertain things. Even right now with the things that are happening, we feel like, well, being a missionary is the last thing in my list of to-dos. Okay, but no, I think that God teaches us this important thing. Don't be afraid. I will be with you. Okay, but be, I mean, let's get encouraged and grab the dream of God. Okay, it's going to God is going to be with you all the time, dealing with your thoughts, dealing with your lack of faith, dealing with many other things like Joshua. Okay, and then God used Joshua to do great things. Mm. He let the uh, people of Israel to get into the uh, promised land. So God is going to use you guys mm. to do great things. And I'm happy that we have the season leaders everywhere in the world, mm. but we need the young people as well. Joshua chapter one, verse nine, and Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Wow. Those are my recommendations. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. And it's it's been a real pleasure, Josue, to to talk to you, to get to know you a little bit better and to to actually meet you for the first time. I, I don't I, I we may have bumped into each other, but I think this is the first time I've ever had a chance to really talk to you in detail. Uh, the thing that impresses me about you is you've got your fire in 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 your prime. At 54, you're still fired up, you're still on fire for God. You could be uh a politician, you could be a lawyer, you could be making, you could be a millionaire right now. It, it, had you chosen that path, but you chose the path for God. You're in one of the, in a dangerous country compared to other countries, uh, a difficult country, and yet you're fired up, you're happy, you are doing amazing things with limited resources, and that's inspiring. And I think it's very inspiring towards uh, people my age and, and people in middle age who maybe you're thinking, you know, I'd like to do something great for God, but I'm, I, you know, I've got my job, I've got my kids and stuff like that. And yet you've chosen the the narrow road in, in many ways. And that's very, very inspiring. Thank you for what you've have done and what you continue to do. Thank you very much for the invitation. As I said, and remember, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is powerful. So we not even, even though you are in the middle age, you have, you are 60 years old or you are 20 years old. Okay. God can use you. Remember that all the time. Okay, it's not you. It is God. That's thank right. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you. And thank you for listening today to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you enjoyed the program, I'd like to ask you to subscribe, rate it, and review this podcast, and share it with your friends. Let people know. Have a great day, and make this life count.